Welcome to Fitzarns Property Exchange, hosted by Pearl Skeltimer, designed to keep you informed and captivated about the South African residential property market. Subscribe to our channel today and enjoy conversations with some of the most influential, innovative and interesting industry experts, stakeholders and scheme executives as they render input in today's property market. Good morning all, it's Pearl Skeltema, the CEO of Fatani Estates and once again welcome to Fatani's Property Exchange. I'm so excited. Today, I have another gentleman in the insurance industry. Mr. Mike Addison is the co-owner and founder and director of AdSure, a registered financial provider. Mike started his career in banking, completing his studies in CIAB whilst working his way up the corporate ladder. With this background in banking, finance, insurance and property, I'm very sure that sectional title insurance must be a perfect fit for him. So, Mike, welcome to us. Yeah, uh, thank don't, you. Don't you want to tell us a bit about AdSure before I start with my questions? Okay, that's uh, you ambushed me on that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, 100%. AdSure um, is the specialist sectional title um, insurance advisory or brokerage. Um, everybody knows us as brokers, so we'll stick to that terminology. Um, we've been doing sectional title insurance for about the last 22 years of the 25 years that we've been in existence. Um, wow. When I say okay. been doing it, we've been specializing in it. Um, so yes, over the last 22 years or so, sectional title insurance, HRAs, community schemes, very much in our blood. So it, we eat, sleep and drink community scheme insurance. Okay. Well, I do I do eat and drink sectional <laughs> title in general. <laughs> so, so be glad that you only deal with the insurance portion thereof. Okay. Um, Mike, so as an owner or a member of a body corporate, what rights do I have in a community scheme with regards to insurance? And where do I fit into this? Okay. So... We're going to look at this. We can look at this in the context of claims. Um, Pearl, would you say you want us to look at it in the context of claims rather than the overall ownership? How would um, you like me to, uh, to answer maybe, that? Maybe we should concentrate, concentrate on claims because I have a follow-up question on this as well. No, 100%. Okay. okay, so we all know that in sectional title, as an owner, you're buying part of a building. Um, and that essentially means that you're buying a section which is demarcated by the imaginary uh, lines or uh, uh, we call them, um, the, you know, the, the median line. So okay. the median line demarcates your section and then you also own an undivided share in the common property as the owner. Correct. So as an owner, um, you've, you've sort of got a scrambled egg, I call it, sort of ownership in the building. Uh, as a whole. So the building has got to be insured as a whole because you can't cut the building out and unscramble the egg. That's yeah, how I true. put it. True. So your owner's rights in terms of a claim is somewhat strange. So how we put it, and we've taken a lot of legal advice over the years on this, is that the owner takes a position of witness in a claim and the body corporate deals with the claim. The sectional mm -hmm. titles act 
um, or the Sectional Title Schemes Management Act uh, is set out in this way. This, the body corporate, if you look on the body corporate's balance sheet, the body corporate doesn't even own the building. Uh, there's no buildings in the, in the body corporate's balance sheet. The owners own the building collectively. So mm -hmm. the body corporate needs to be directed by the Sectional Title Schemes Management Act to deal with the claims. Okay. But the owner has rights, and the, owner, the, the policy is structured in a way that it's a contract, and the owner is actually reflected in the policy contract as the co-insured. So the policy is normally styled the body corporate of ABC uh, with all of the owners as co-insured or for their respective rights and interests. All right. Okay. So a claim comes along. What would normally happen, the claim form should actually be designed uh, in line with prescribed management rule 10. Mm -hmm. Prescribed management rule 10 says that any legal document needs to be signed by two trustees or one trustee and the managing agent. So technically, and I'm, I'm not saying this is always practical. In fact, it's not, it's hardly practical, but in, in, in textbook way of dealing with this, the owner would sign the claim form by completing it. In other words, telling you what's going on. Uh, I had this problem, a pipe burst in my section, or I had a little fire on my stove and it's damaged my kitchen. Um, the owner fills in what happens, signs the claim form. Okay, as mm -hmm. owner, we say as owner slash witness, and then the trustees co-sign that, or one trustee and the managing agent co-signs that, and the claim is submitted. Okay. There, there, thereafter, if there's a problem with the claim, that's why it's important to sign a claim form correctly, because if there's a problem with the claim afterwards, maybe the claim gets rejected for some reason. And now it becomes contentious. There's going to be a dispute over the claim. It either needs to go legal or it needs to go to the ombud. You don't want to send a claim form to any court or to the ombud that's not signed correctly. We all know what happens if you land up in court with a, a wrongly yeah, signed true. contract or document. That's so, actually very good advice. So we always think that the owner must understand that, understand his position, Always give the owner the right to, uh, you know, complain or to ventilate their, their unhappiness with the claim. Even let them go to the ombudsman and sign it. But even the ombudsman's complaint will need to be signed, co-signed by the trustees or by one trustee and the managing agent. Keep right. it legal. Okay. 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 Like I said, that's very good advice, but not always practical um, as we not. stand in the industry and, and, and I know how it works. And now I'm going to throw you a curveball um, in the sense that I'd like to know the following. Uh, I'm sketching a scenario, an owner being in arrears with their levies. You say owners has rights. Part of their levy is obviously the contribution towards the insurance premium. Would you think that they should enjoy the privilege of being able to claim whilst being in arrears with their levies? <laughs> it's a very good question that comes up often. So, yeah, it's 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 difficult. I mean, it's the same as everything else. Your security, they're still enjoying the security. They're still enjoying the water flow. They're still enjoying the gardens and the cleaning services and so on in the common property. Mm -hmm. The the Unfortunately, as much as one would love to penalize that owner in some way or other, you can't. The insurance needs to go on. 
the body corporate is actually the insured party. So the body corporate continues to uh, pay the premium and to pay claims, even if that owner, and that, that's where it gets really irritating because here now that owner who hasn't paid the levies for X number of months uh, now has an insurance claim. They've got water damage to their kitchen um, and you feel that now you want to get the, the uh, levies up to date before you deal with the claim. Not so. You actually have to continue and deal with that claim. Um, and you must just make sure that the money that's you know, that's disbursed in terms of that claim goes to the contractor and is used to actually um, deal with the uh, repairs and maintenance. Well, not maintenance, but the repair uh, of that or the reinstatement of that damage. Um, and in fact, the trustees are obliged to do that in terms of um, Section 3.1F, I think it is, if I'm, I'm not even looking, but I think it's 3.1F. Um, it's a function of the trustees to see to it that the monies uh, that are paid by the insurance for damages are in fact applied to doing the repairs. You, you're quite right, um, but it just seems so unfair. But I'm not going to elaborate on that further. <laughs> there is um, a trick. There is a trick. We've, we've uh, learned a trick. Tell us. Tell us. <laughs> what you do is where the owner, however, um, and perhaps we shouldn't do this publicly, but um, where the owner actually has paid for uh, the, uh, and we've taken a lot of legal advice on this in the past, so we, I'm, I'm quite comfortable to give this out, is that where the owner has actually paid for that damage repair themselves. So say there's a little fire in the kitchen, and now they've paid 10,000 Rand to do the repair out of their own pocket. Okay. And now they're coming with a claim form to fill it in and they're submitting after, the claim. After they've, after they've after paid, they've for paid the contractor okay. and the right. reinstatement is done. Now they're coming with the claim, which they, that would be another way of doing it. Or the reinstatement is not done yet, but they've paid the contractor. Okay. If the money has been paid by the owner, now the body corporate submits the claim, the money comes to the body corporate's account. You're now in a position of set-off. It's a different scenario. Uh, okay, I hear what you're saying. So what you're able to do there... But instead of refunding him, you just credit to the levy set account. Off to the levy account. Uh, okay. That's the only way you can do it. So when you have a situation like that, look at it. And you might be able to point it in that direction if you are devious enough. <laughs> <laughs> devious. What a good word choice. Thank you for that, Mike. <clears throat> so, uh, what is covered? This is a question much asked. What is covered by sectional title insurance? And please give us a few examples. Okay. So, I always say that the three main areas that sectional title you know, I call it the one, two, three approach. If you look at the rules, regulations, and of course the acts, the two acts, um, the this the three main areas are buildings. Then there's fidelity, and then there's liability. But okay. I'm going to deal with just the buildings because I think in the context of a normal owner's claim, mm. we, we're dealing mm. with buildings. So uh, so we focus on the sub area buildings, and I, I mention those three things because. Often people get it wrong, uh, even insurance brokers. I think they're just insuring buildings, but buildings is only really one third of the picture. So when you're looking at the buildings and from an owner's perspective, they like to know, you know, what is insured and what isn't. 
So first of all, the structure is uh, of the building is what you're looking at. So anything that's a fixture or part of the building would be covered under the insurance policy. That would include the flooring, and I'm looking inside the section now, more specific to the owner's needs here, the ceilings, um, the windows, uh, the kitchen, the kitchen cupboards, the built-in cupboards, everything that's a fixture. I know the energy of a doll's house is often used. We started using that uh, nearly 20 years ago. I don't know. Um, you know, you take a doll's house, turn it upside down, shake it out, and whatever falls out is not covered. In other words, the contents, the owner's bed and his uh, dining room table and all those chairs and everything, carpets, loose carpets, mats, they all fall out. That's not covered. That's under your contents. That's so the, a good example. I so, like that. I've never heard of it. The doll's house. Okay, I'll remember that. Everybody uses that analogy these days. Okay. Um, and um, the, the buildings itself, what's left is actually covered. Then the question is, what would uh, constitute an insurance claim? And it's, it's quite a simple way of putting it. If, it. if there's sudden and unforeseen damage caused by certain events you have cover. Must okay. not be wear and tear related and must not be as a result of defective workmanship. Okay. okay. So let's Good. use some examples. So a burst pipe, let's look at pipes first of all. A burst pipe, pipe bursts and there's water everywhere. The plumber opens up the wall and he found that the pipe is there, completely burst. It's, the pressure has pushed the pipes apart or it's splayed open a complete burst pipe. The pipe is in generally in good condition and it shouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the pressure. Okay. Okay. So you would have a full claim there. You would have a claim for the water damage, the repair, putting a new pipe in, everything. Okay, okay. so we tick that right. box. The second scenario would be a old fraught leaking pipe. So mm -hmm. you've got a pipe that's in the wall. You can't maintain it because you can't see it. But it's in the wall. And so it's, it's been deteriorating for deteriorating a number of years. There's a lot of those happening these days. So what happens is you, you find it. there's a smell behind your cupboard. <clears throat> there's a, a damp mark. There's mold and stalagmite starting to grow. And you look at okay, the cupboard. So this happened over a period of time. Though. Correct. Okay. It's not a once-off once off occurrence. Correct. I've got damp. So you're going to get this. Okay. I've got damp, I've got water, there's pipe problem. A plumber comes in, <clears throat> he chops it open, and he finds that the pipe is old, it's got pinholes, or it's rusty, and it's leaking. Okay. That is not, not an insurance claim at all. Okay, all right. it's a wear and tear issue. Uh, don't use the word maintenance, because you can't expect anybody to maintain a pipe in the wall. Use mm -hmm. the word wear and tear. An insurance okay. company won't pay for that wear and tear pipe. Okay. okay and the consequential damage, though? Okay, correct. So uh, scenario two, I just said to you, there's no, there's no damage there, so there's no claim. Okay, so I like to put them in these three contexts so that you can put them into three little boxes. Your second box, then, is no claim whatsoever. There's no consequential, no resulting damage, so there's no claim whatsoever. Okay. okay. The third scenario is a little bit of both. And I say that because you, 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 and, and I remember uh, 
CIA's previous CEO used to have a good analogy. He uh, used to say, you go to bed at night and everything is dry and clean. And you wake up the next morning and there's water, a pool of water, water flowing. Yeah. Okay. So what you look at, you go there, you call your plumber, your plumber opens it up. And true as nuts, it's an old fraught pipe, pinholes, rusty and everything. But there has been a pool of water. It came and damaged the floor. Okay, mm -hmm. so there what you would have is the repair, chopping it open, putting a new pipe in, repairing the wall, even tiling. None of that is a claim because that was the repair part of a wear and tear matter. Okay. However, as long as that damage that happened happened suddenly, last night it happened. It happened this morning, I found it. That is sudden and unforeseen, and it's water damage. So you've Gosh, got to claim for the result. This must be difficult to determine who decides. Did it happen last night or did it happen over a period of time? Yeah, now that is the tricky one. So, And, and, and you get this every day. I mean, we, we deal with these every day. There is a line, and it can be determined because you're relying then on your uh, on your plumber's report, and you can generally see photographs will tell a story. So what I always, uh, and it, I'm going to deal with the pipes first of all. So if you take a photograph of that cupboard and that wall, you can almost see at a glance whether that's been happening over a period of time or whether it happened straight okay. away. Now, look, sometimes people go away for the weekend or they go away for a week or two and they come back and they find the problem. Yeah. I would consider that, you know, reasonable that it happened suddenly. Okay. Um, the problem that you have is when a tenant is in a place, they don't report it, it continues and continues and continues, yeah. okay. and you have a fraud cupboard, and that mm -hmm. would not be a claim. But but the, the art of our job here is to try and help clients determine which side of the line you're on. All right. Wow, that was interesting. Thank you so much. Okay. So I think um, the most common claim in sectional title, of course, is geezers. Yeah. So um, what does the act say or what does the insurance, what is covered in terms of the geezer? Maintenance, replacement? Um, give, us, give us a bit of information on this. Okay. Right. So Project Geezer has been my my pet hobby for the last two years we've been working on a on a project and I'll, I'll explain that I'll share that with with your listeners um, so first of all it's very interesting and this will come as a surprise to most people if you read prescribed management rule 31 I think it is um, it's very clear that geezers should not be insured in terms of replacement or geezers that are finished or kaput okay mm -hmm. geezers should only be insured for that rare occasion where it actually explodes through high pressure, causes severe damage, um, or um, you know it's it's burnt in a fire, or an earthquake shakes the geyser out of its place, something along those lines. That's the traditional insurance. Okay. Prescribed Rule Thirty One actually says very clearly that an owner is responsible to maintain, including replacing of their geysers for their own yeah. account. True. Okay, so that's what the, the rules say. But everybody, everybody in South Africa ignores that rule. Okay, because there's an expectation and the expectation has been built up over the years 
um, originally through banks uh, providing uh, home loans and, and home loan insurance to the market. It sort of entered into the sectional title where geezers automatically became insured. It was also very expensive in the old days when geezers only used to cost 1,000 or 2,000 rand to replace. It became uneconomical for an insurance company to send out a loss adjuster to go and check whether the yeah. geezer actually burst. Yeah. Yeah. So traditionally, okay. geezers just became covered. Okay, so geezers shouldn't be covered, but they are covered. All and right. the, the insurance companies um, that, that specialize in sectional title and you know, I kid you not, 22 years ago, there were not insurance companies that specialized in sectional title. We as brokers used to have to go to the insurance companies and design policies. Um, but since corporature, CIA, CIB and others uh, have entered the market with sectional title products, most of them have provided for the geezer with a maintenance section. So this would be like... Um cover for maintenance of geezers, not just replacement. It's like Correct. often in the market we refer to it as a as a geezer plan included Correct. in the policy. But this is Correct. something over and above the normal cover. Correct. So okay. the, what they've done is they've to compensate for the fact that they shouldn't be covering wear and tear, they actually would put a geezer section in the policy called a maintenance section, geezer maintenance or geezer plan. Um, right. It's just a fancier word for, you know, adjusting the policy to accommodate replacing fraught old geezers. Okay. Okay. So what, what they've done is to manage it. They've had to give limits generally. I'm not saying all of them do it, but generally they will give a limit. So your three main players, I won't mention their names, will say, for example, say for a 150-litre geezer, your limit is 8,000 rand, okay? For mm -hmm. repairs and maintenance, in other words, if you need a new valve or you need a new thermostat, that you can replace those things up to a limit of 2,000 rand. And then there will be an excess for each, usually a 250 rand or a 500 rand excess for maintenance. And then that usually, sounds reasonable. Wow. And then usually about... 1,500 Rand for your geezer. So okay. your standard, if your policy is running okay, there's no claims ratio problems, you should be able to have your geezer replaced for about 8,000 Rand with a 1,500 Rand excess. But there's a big problem. There is a big problem. The big problem is, is that um, the standard of specs, and I must be very careful what I say here, but the geezers are designed and are have a useful life probably of about five years. The guarantees are five years. And in five years' time, you're going to have the same problem. Now, what also happens is people do not, and I'm only, I've only met one person in the whole country over the last 20 years who does, in fact, replace the anode. The anode is supposed to be replaced, um, and which lengthens the life of the geezer. What so, is an anode? Okay, I'm a so, woman. I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> so an, an anode, and if if it if we were doing a um, a webinar rather than a podcast, I would show a picture. But it's actually like a rod. So I'm going to describe it as a about you know 30 millimeters length on average rod. It's about two centimeters in diameter. Okay. And it screws into the geezer. It's usually situated in the middle of the geezer. It's got a bolt on the outside. 
and it's bolted into the uh, into the geyser. Your standard geyser is made of mild steel, mild steel geyser, and which is glazed just like your cups and saucers. Okay, mm -hmm. what happens by design? The 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 inside chips even on when they're busy uh, manufacturing and installing the geyser. And by the time the geyser is actually installed in the ceiling, it's already chipped probably. But also, um, it will also deteriorate. And the anode is there. It's called a self-sacrificing anode. It's made of a certain materials, zinc type, magnesium or whatever it's made of, uh, which deteriorates through electrolysis as the geyser is being heated. And over time, all the little bad parts or the rusty parts in the geyser are being covered or there's a film of this which comes off the anode and goes and sits on the little hole mm -hmm. and after about a year or year and a half generally the anode has deteriorated it's sacrificed itself it looks like a used up sparkler so that thick nice thing is now finished and your geyser now starts deteriorating even faster okay, okay. so so that is probably why and i'm not going to slate any product uh, but that is probably why the technical guys can give better explanations is why your geyser will deteriorate pretty quickly well now, mike i think you've done a pretty good job of explaining this i just wanted to ask uh, am, am I really talking to the co-founder of Actual or a plumber? Because I can actually visualize this. <laughs> no, it's, look, we've been working on this, um, and there's a solution. Um, we there's a there's a product. It's a stainless steel geyser. It's um, available in Gauteng already. It's going to Cape Town next year uh, in January. Um, it's available in Durban through a plumbing outlet, a call center. But it's mm -hmm. a stainless steel geyser triple four stainless steel it costs a little bit more so compared to the eight thousand rand fully installed comes in at about nine thousand five hundred stainless not much steel of a difference. Okay. no it's, a, it's about a 15 percent difference okay. and and it's a no-brainer because it lasts it's got a 10-year warranty 10-year warranty it'll probably last 25 years and more it's the same quality steel as your cutlery Okay, so I would rather be drinking water if you ever dare to drink hot water from mm. a hot water mm. tap. If you see what it looks like inside an old rustic geyser, you wouldn't even want to shower in that water. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm more comfortable knowing that my water comes out of a stainless steel vessel. Um, it's clean. It lasts longer. It has no anode. There is no requirement for an anode. It's stainless mm -hmm. steel and um, long-lasting. So we are promoting this as a solution. And over the last two years where this product has been installed, we've had tremendous success. So um, that's definitely, that, the, definitely the solution. That sounds awesome. I love your idea of perhaps a webinar where one can see these things and me and you should talk about that possibility. I've actually lost track of time. Um, this, this was intended for a 20-minute art talk, and we are already almost on 30. Uh, look, um, okay. Can I ask a quick? Can I ask a quick last question? Yes. Um, and this is also um, a question we receive on a daily basis. Excess. Why is there an excess payable on a claim, and who is responsible for payment of an excess? Okay, so your excess traditionally is there to prevent frivolous claims. So let's understand that part first. Mm -hmm. What do we mean about frivolous claims? So, I mean, every time it rains and somebody has a little damp 
patch on their carpet in order for them to, you know, not be tempted to just claim for a brand new carpet just because they had a little bit of water on their carpet, there's an excess. So okay. they put excesses down for most things, um, a thousand rand, just so that the owner participates a little bit in in the, the claim or the cost or, or the the process. So excesses of a thousand rand, one thousand five hundred rand is what one should have. Okay. Or a small mm -hmm. excess if you really want to bring the excess down. These days, under COVID-19, we are understanding there's been a whole lot of pushback in terms of uh, uh, people not being able to afford the, the smallest of excesses. And in those cases, we've tried to actually negotiate with insurance companies to remove excesses, reduce them, rather pay a slightly higher premium. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's, that's, that's the principle of an excess. All right. What you have, though, is claims ratio. Um, if your claims ratio is going too high, in other words, if the insurance company are paying out more claims than premium that they're receiving in principle, or more than 60% of claims, they need to manage that policy, either by increasing the premium or increasing the excess. And, uh. it's, a, and it's a common problem. You have people that have ownership in maybe two or three complexes, and they complain because my excess on my Giza is 3,000 Rand, but in another complex, it's only 1,500 yeah, Rand. Now we get that daily. Okay. It's not that you've got a terrible policy. It's because the claims ratio in that complex is much worse than the, the ratio in the other complex. Yeah. In fact, perhaps, we're, perhaps we should just, just yeah. say an, um, a claims history that would perhaps make more Correct. sense claims in terms. Yeah. The claims history affects premium and excess yeah. in a nutshell. Right. Mm. Okay. Mike, that was quite interesting. I've learned quite a few things. So thank you for your time. I really yeah. appreciate it. No, pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, please join us again. We will talk soon. This was Fitzarns Property Exchange, hosted by Pearl Skeltimer. Not only do we keep you informed on the very latest in the property industry, we also empower by expanding your knowledge base. Make sure to visit www.fitzarn.co.za to find out more about sectional title scheme management, letting, sales and trustee training. Remember to subscribe to our channel and follow us on all our social platforms.